welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. First-time listeners finding the show, welcome aboard. Always happy to have you. Hope you've had a chance to check out Counterpunch. Plus, that is our brand new subscriber section. Support Counterpunch by getting a subscription to Counterpunch Plus. That uh, monthly and or annual fee is going to give you access to so much content. If you don't know Alexander Coburn's old work, all of those years, uh, that is all available in the archive. Uh, Alex is, of course, the patron saint of Counterpunch, the, the founder of Counterpunch, and uh, the revered figure that we look to in a very bizarre sort of uh, fashion. But anyway, you should check out Counterpunch Plus. You should become a subscriber, and you will help keep the lights on for Counterpunch. Oh, and by the way, pretty soon at Counterpunch Plus, there will be extended podcasts, there will be videos, there will be all kinds of other stuff from me. So get ready to see more of my face. Aren't you excited for that? Paul Street is with me. Paul Street is a regular. Paul Street is a valued member of our community. Paul Street, what else are you, Paul? An iconoclast. We've described you as that before. (laughs) Um, Sort of a a, a monster of the midway, as it were. Anyway, Paul Street, Paul Street is a writer, Paul Street is a regular with Counterpunch, Paul Street is a White Sox fan, Paul Street is uh, an interesting guy, and he's here to talk about some uh, pretty dark shit. Hi, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I grew up in the the Midway, uh, down on 59th Street, uh, playing soccer and hockey in the Midway, you betcha. Look at him dancing for the authenticity, he's so desirous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Paul, I want to talk with you about a bunch of different things. Of course, you're always writing for us at Counterpunch. There's always new Paul Street stuff up there, including, by the way, at Counterpunch Plus at various times. Um, but, Paul, I want to ask you, uh, you're sort of the 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 guru sure. of dismal dollar Dems, aren't you? The Democrats, the degenerate Democrats in their various uh, manifold forms. Right. And uh, I want to ask you to help us to understand what in the hell has happened in these last few months. What is the Biden administration? I mean, is this basically just uh, Obama's third term mixed in with, uh, you know, a couple of retreads? Is there something new here? How do you read Biden and the current uh, administration and the various other, uh, you know, apparatchiks around them? Well, you know, hating on the dismal dollar drenched uh, degenerate Democrats, that's another uh, childhood memory going back to growing up in uh, Mayor Richard J. Shoot to Kill Daly's. Chicago, you know, uh, I was trying to uh, stay remotely positive and try and find some ways in which I thought maybe uh, Joe Biden would be better than Obama. And, uh, you know, on the surface, um, I kind of thought there, you know, the the fact that he was older uh, uh, and therefore unlike Bill Clinton and Barack Obama was going to be too old to have that whole thing of you do everything Goldman Sachs and Citigroup says, and then you get a ticket into the oligarchy and get to live in mansions and have a global foundation and become a multimillionaire in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, that that wouldn't be a factor with Biden. I thought that uh, because Joe Biden wasn't a A++ super brainiac from Harvard Law and Yale Law, like Obama, like the Clintons, but just kind of this uh, dumb plagiarizing C student that maybe he wouldn't have so thoroughly absorbed and uh, and, and attached himself to the intricacies of neoliberal uh, political economic doctrine. And that might be good. And, you know, he's from Scranton, had a working class dad, and has this kind of blue collarish type of background that he's able to talk about and he's a good Catholic and he's lost people in his in his lifetime, including a son, and supposedly that you know helps him feel empathy and be more human than you know sort of celebrity addicted uh, uh, malignant narcissists like Donald Trump and uh, Barack Obama and all of that. But you know, and I, I suppose some of that was sort of going on. But does it really matter? Does any of that really matter within the overall underlying? Uh, structural and institutional constraints of the nation's uh, uh, unelected and interrelated dictatorships of capital, empire, patriarchy, and white supremacism? No, I don't think it really does. And after all, Joe Biden uh, uh, um, was a was known for 
decades as the senator from MBNA, as the as the incorporation Delaware senator who uh, you know who used to lobby re- uh, regularly uh, against bankruptcy protections for ordinary people, uh, for uh, subsidies for Coca Cola, uh, 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 um, you know who who said. In 2019, to a bunch of elite Manhattan donors, don't worry, when I get elected, nothing will fundamentally change. Nobody's standard of living will have to change. Joe Biden, who 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 helped lead the charge, and he didn't just go along with it. He led the charge from the Democratic side in the U.S. Senate for the invasion of Iraq uh, in 2002 and 2003. Joe Biden, who in 2018 was interviewed about this lame little book he did, by the Los Angeles Times and actually said, no, I have no empathy. Give me a break. No empathy for millennials, right? For young people coming up in this ecocidal, uh, imperial, savagely unequal nation that he had helped create over decades of service to concentrated wealth in the Senate. You know, Joe Biden, who as a candidate said he would uh, veto Medicare for all, you know, if it came to his death, so, you know, so what if two thirds of the population would like to make healthcare a human right in the country? So, you know, different guys, a different personality dynamics. He's not a, he's not a, a Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama, but it's the same party. It's the same system and it's the same centrist corporate Democrats. Now, you know, Obama, it was not Obama's first choice. Obama wanted the Yale Law grad uh, Hillary in 2016 tended to be sort of have a bit of a condescending attitude about old Joe. And in this last round, uh, Obama's first choice was Beto O'Rourke, you know, young, charismatic, uh, uh, skateboarding, uh, even cusses every once in a while. He's really cool. Beto, and Beto flamed out. And, I, and then his next choice was, Obama's next choice was Kamala Harris. And she proved to be an absolutely horrific presidential politician, almost as bad as uh, Joe Biden in, in the 1980s and again in 2008. And then I think he had some hopes, Obama did, for uh, other centrist neoliberals like Amy Klobuchar and perhaps Pete Buttigieg, but they didn't have a chance. They flamed out. And, and Biden became Obama's choice uh, um, as the non-Bernie, anti-progressive uh, um, you know, uh, a candidate. And, you know, in, in a sense, that's sort of appropriate because Joe Biden exists on the national political scale because he his career uh, was, he was put in the history books, let's put it that way, by Barack Obama when Obama selected him as his running mate in 2008 because they thought that Biden would be a sort of old conservative white guy that would give some ballast, some conservative centrist ballast to the uh, supposedly fake, but supposedly leftish, and of course, technically black reality of Obama with the electorate. So uh, uh, no, no. And, you know, and now you've got Biden uh, um, basically surrendering across the board. He surrendered on on student debt forgiveness. Uh, He is uh, surrendering on uh, the uh, the Protect the Right to Organize Act. He's surrendering on the... um, we the people, the Voting Rights Act. We couldn't. He he hid behind the Senate parliamentarian, this arcane institution and ruling uh, on, on the pittance of a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, which, which would only translate with full time work to thirty thousand dollars a year. He's hiding behind the filibuster and playing a game of triangulation with uh, the Republicans and Joe Manchin. Uh, on uh, on uh, what would have been an epic uh, and very significant uh, reform to re-legalize union organizing long overdue in this country. That bill's gone. The We the People Act is gone, it appears now. And uh, that is basically a green light uh, uh, for full-on right-wing voter suppression, gerrymandering, dark right-wing money in the political process, and therefore the return of the Republican Party to the control of the House of Representatives in 2022, perhaps also the Senate, and just greasing the skids for a right-wing return in 2024, uh, greasing the skids for a party that's become fascist, the Republican Party. It's a neo-fascist party, and he talks about the need to uh, reach out in a bipartisan kind of way uh, uh, to the other side of the aisle as if these people haven't become, uh, you know, the 21st century uh, American version of the Nazi party.
And, and meanwhile, they're they're doing everything they can to marginalize uh, uh, the progressive wing in their own party, which has the audacity to advance policies uh, supported by the majority uh, of the population, irrelevantly, incidentally. I mean, two-thirds of the population supports the way the people act. So what? Who cares? Simon says. Uh, the filibuster says no. The uh, 60 vote rule in the, in the Senate says no. The absurd, preposterous power of the Senate uh, says no. The Senate, where Wyoming has the voters have uh, 134 times the representation power as California voters do. It's 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 all rather preposterous. All right, Paul. When you get down to it. All right, Paul. Keep your pants on over there. Uh, sure. You're, yeah. You're getting real worked up as you always do, and as you yes, should. I do. Um, but I have to ask you this question because it. It, it really, I think, does animate how we should understand or analyze Biden in this moment, because, of course, Joe Biden is a right wing conservative Democrat. This is not a secret. I think he he I mean, he pretty much openly ran on that. He said, I'm not a socialist. I'm a Democrat, which is another way of saying I'm a right winger, you know, so. So he, I, I don't get a Lenin prize for understanding that. OK, right. So my, my, my point here, though, is that Joe Biden is president in a very different moment than Barack Obama was. America is a pretty different is, is, is a different place in a lot of ways. It's a different it's a different landscape among young people. I think young people are much savvier politically than they were in 2008, 2009, when Obama was able to basically hoodwink himself into, uh, you know, being seen as a progressive. Uh, Bernie has had some impact on that, but really it's kind of been a trajectory since at least Occupy Wall Street leading us to this moment. And of course, all of the protests over the last uh, four years and especially over the last year. And so Biden takes over in a moment that is, I think, distinctly different from that of Obama. And I think a lot of those things that I just pointed out are some of the reasons why uh, people on the left may have had some slivers of hope uh, in Biden. And so here we are, as you just noted, just about half a year later or so, a little more than that. And I mean, it looks like a pile of flaming wreckage, doesn't it? Well, it kind of does. Yeah. I mean, so there wasn't anything like Bernie and the A and the squad and, and the progressive contingent in the, uh, in the House when Obama came in. Uh, you know, there's nothing like that at all. Uh, there hadn't been anything like uh, the George Floyd rebellion right before Obama came in. And the GOP was still sort of lurking. We knew it was eliminationist. We knew it was tending towards white nationalism. We knew it was ugly and that uh, the far right was getting increasingly mainstream with him. But, but as Biden comes in, we've just seen four years with sort of the full flowering of the undeniable fact that the GOP is a neo-fascist party, which in a way uh, even Biden had to sort of acknowledge in his opening campaign ad in some of his comments when she likened Trump to Goebbels and uh, made references to the extreme anti-Semitism of the 1930s. So, yeah, I think there was some hope. Uh, um that with this sort of newly invigorated uh, 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 progressive component, this activist in the streets, uh, interracial youth that we saw in 2020, uh, and this evident demonstration of just really how incredibly awful the GOP has become, that there would be an, uh, an opening for um, for really serious progressive change. But those institutional constraints are, are as real as they've ever been. And they're being, they're being shown to us all in, in, uh, in a really kind of stark kind of way now. Uh, 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 the Senate is just absurdly powerful. And just having 50 Democrats, two of whom are, if not more, are de facto Republicans, uh, um, you know, just uh, doesn't do it. The Supreme Court is held by a right-wing uh, um supermajority. That's utterly preposterous. Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Iowa has the same number of senators as California. It, it's it's the, the, the right wing is ridiculously overrepresented in the Senate representation system, in the Supreme Court, in the Electoral College. Uh, uh, and there's, there's, and, and, and there's all these institutions that the Democrats just don't want to touch and don't want to talk about. Now, some of these are embedded in a constitution that goes back to the 18th century and is a product of slave owners and merchant capitalists for whom democracy was like their ultimate nightmare. But some of these things are open to 
that don't require a constitutional amendment or a new constitution, like the filibuster. The Supreme Court be, could be expanded in order to get rid of this, this right-wing uh, uh, supermajority. Uh, there could be a real uh, 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 movement to bring Washington, D.C. in as a democratic state. And, you know, a few other things. like the, the, the Senate parliamentarian thing is just ridiculous and should be disregarded f- forever here and on. You know, uh, uh, and they won't even do that, and um, and that's not surprising. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, we've got progressive Democrats now, but they're trapped. Uh, they're trapped within the system, and um, with the We the People Act or the For the People Act going down in flames, and uh, the, then the and the distorted census informing the new gerrymanderings of the state districts and the congressional districts. Uh, um, yeah, it. it um, Short of a, of, a, of a gigantic mass mobilization around uh, a fundamental structural and institutional reconstruction demand, something far beyond George Floyd, uh, um, you know, which was just the beginning of a start of the kind of movement we need. Uh, short of that, uh, it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. And Paul, I have to give you a tremendous amount of credit for coining a term that <laughs> I think is one of the most accurate of all to describe the Trumpist right wing. And you call them Americaners, which I think is excellent. Um, And so let me ask you a little bit about this Americaner fascist ascendancy or this neo-fascist Republican Party, as you've described it. And specifically, I want to talk about the nature of culture war and how culture war is playing into this sort of Americaner identity. Uh, And specifically, I think the hot button issue, of course, right now is the, uh, you know, the impending danger that's lurking around every corner to destroy our children, critical race theory. So tell me, Paul, about critical race theory and how the culture war over critical race theory is really kind of just part of this broader fascist ascendancy in the U.S. Well, you know, uh, Counterpunch has given me a venue in which to invent um, new words like Trump and left, which I think we might get to. Uh, for the founding fathers, Aristo Republicans. I'm very proud of inventing the phrase. Uh, Tony DiMaggio cannot have it, and he has to admit that it's mine. Pandemo fascist, pandemo fascism. Uh, and then Americana. Now, Americana uh, uh, just made perfect sense to me. Uh, it turns out that actually they're right. Some there, there are some people in right wing chat rooms that have, and I didn't know this, have been using it themselves. That makes sense actually to describe their far right white nationalism. It's taken from Afrikaner, and it relates to the demographic fear it, it, from South Africa for the minority white population that was uh, clinging to formal institutional apartheid in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, excuse me. <laughs> That's funny. In South Africa, up through the up through the 1990s, right, and Nelson Mandela, and uh, you know, fearing demographic uh, uh, overwhelm by the majority black population, uh, um, and the, a lot of what's driving, I think, uh, the new kind of neo-fascistic white nationalist authoritarianism in the U.S. is demography, and demography, particularly in connection with race, and a fear that uh, whites are going to be overrun. I guess the census projections are that whites technically uh, are supposed to be a minority in this country by 2050. That's a ways away. White people in polling data have ridiculous ideas of the percentage of the population that's black. They will say, and they will tell uh, uh, pollsters that America's 30 to 40% black and 20 to 30% Latino. Some of them think they're a minority already. They're not. Whites won't be technically a minority uh, until 2050. At least that's my understanding. But yeah, there's this fear that... uh, uh, um, that the whites will be uh, 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 surrounded and paid back and uh, and punished and uh, and victimized. Now, critical race theory, uh, the attack on critical race theory, um, is is more than in. A, I'm in a state. I'm talking to you in Iowa right now that has actually passed a bill outlawing critical race theory, uh, not just K to twelve, K to PhD in any public 
educational institution in the state of Iowa and other states. I don't know how many. I think it's got to be at least 10 or so. You can look, readers can, listeners can look that up. A number of states, probably mostly southern states, have passed similar and related uh, bills. Uh, um, critical race theory is this kind of very specific, uh, originally at least, uh, uh, legal uh, uh, theory in connection with uh, 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 um, jurisprudence around discrimination. Uh, actually, it wasn't originally just about race, but about race, class, and gender. And critical race theory was also uh, where the concept of intersectionalism came out of. But it's moved out of just uh, le- legal theory and out of law schools into sociology, into philosophy, and elsewhere. I've read books by scholars who consider themselves uh, and not not just legal scholars consider themselves critical race theoreticians. The right wing doesn't know very much of anything. The, the the people who who support the vote in Des Moines to outlaw critical race theory have zero idea what it really is. If you read the bill here, and I think it's similar in other states, it's not just about an abstract academic theory that very few of them understand anyway. It's really an an assault on uh, um, it's it, the, the the way some of these bills read is it is essentially uh, made illegal. Of course, this may make its way to the Supreme Court someday, but it's illegal to talk in any, to, to tell the truth about white supremacism or structural and institutional racism, past and present at all. It is an attempt to whitewash the American present and the American past. And it's fundamentally fascistic. I mean, it's a huge deal, Paul. It's a huge deal. It is. In fact, I'm, I I don't know why more bells weren't ringing because if you've ever, you had Jason Stanley on the, the the book Uh, about Jason's core fascist narratives and this assault on Kurt, these bills click off. I don't know, five or six or more of Jason's uh, leading 10 narratives of the fascist playbook, right? The notion of a mythic, national, uh, uh, unsullied, pure past, uh, um, the the addiction to propaganda, the, the, the constant picking upon things in the grist mill to, 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 to feed right-wing paranoia, the sense of white victimhood in a nation where whites are still clearly the the winners in 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 income and jobs and promotions and wealth and everything else so that the, the notion of the supposedly critical race theory is victimizing uh, uh white americans and white children uh, um jason one of his characteristics is untruth the the assault on truth well i mean it's just an empirical atrocity to deny um uh slavery and Jim Crow and racially disparate uh, arrest and criminal marking and mass incarceration. You know, and there's even more that you could say about it in connection with fascist doctrine and, and, and the fascist playbook. There's an anti-urban aspect to it. Uh, 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 um, and yeah, well, I don't want to. I don't want to just do an ad for. But everyone should read Jason's book. It's very, still very important and very. Um, uh, um, amazingly uh, 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 apropos to our current situation. And, yeah, and, and go, oh, I, I was gonna the other one, the anti-intellectual component of it. I mean, it's like critical race theory. Who do, who come came up with that? Intellectuals, and in the fascist worldview articulated by the Americana GOP, uh, um, there's 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 a strong connection between hatred of intellectuals and hatred of racial minorities. Because what are the intellectuals with their fancy theories like CRT? What are they hated for? They're hated for supposedly opening the door to let people of supposedly undeserving and supposedly lazy people of color, quote unquote, cut in line ahead of virtuous, hardworking, Caucasian, heartland, true Americans. You know, true Americans. One of the most interesting things about this to me, though, is not just uh, what it portends for the country and what it tells us about the fascistization of uh, much of the country and much of the discourse, but I think it also really tells us quite a lot about the disinformation ecosystem how it has evolved over the sure. especially over the last 5 years but uh, you know maybe over the last 10 years would be a better way of uh, a better timeline certainly since the tea party the way that manufacturing outrage has now taken i think 
has has now been taken to such an extreme so far beyond what we were used to in the bush years that now the manufacturing of outrage is having very dangerous real world consequences things like people storming uh state capitals people storming school board meetings being carried out in handcuffs because they threatened to murder city councilmen over critical race theory i mean this kind of these kinds of things, these are happening not just because, you know, of some natural and organic anger in the country, but also very much a product of, 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 of manufactured outrage. Well, you know, the right wing, uh, even in, you know, classic historical fascism, never had anything like uh, 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 4chan and 8chan and uh, I suppose still Facebook and, uh, and Twitter and um and now their own, I mean, they, they have the, the far right wing, neo-fascistic white nationalist right wing has one of the mainstream uh, broadcast television cable stations, Fox News. It's, I call it fatherland news for all intents and purposes. They also have uh, OANN or OAN or whatever the hell that is, which is basically neo-Nazi uh, news 24-7. So yeah, this stuff uh, gets into its, uh, of course, there's right wing talk radio too. I mean, where there's just... I listen to it sometimes in my car and it's just frothing maniacs. This is nothing new. You know, I mean, it started with Rush Limbaugh. And, well, actually, it started with Father Coughlin. But, uh, um, you know, and um, yeah, the, 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 we, we never imagined uh, anything like that in, in past history and certainly prior to the uh, to the Internet. Well, if you've listened to the, if you're, if you're a regular listener of this show, go back several episodes. If you want to listen to my interview with Ross Bennis, who grew up in Nebraska and tells a great anecdote in the beginning, beginning of his book about the, the making of Tu Wong Fu, the, you know, the, 1994 film with Wesley Snipes and John Leguizamo and others were their cross-dressers and they filmed it in Nebraska in the nineties and everyone loved it. All these, you know, all these Trumpist right wingers who were there loved it. They still talked about it with such, you know, uh, warm feelings. But that was 1994. Today, if you had a movie studio sending the crew out to Nebraska to film a, a, a movie about crossdressers, how do you think the media would cover that? Right. What, what kind of outrage do you think they'd manufacture over these liberals coming from Hollywood to good old fashioned America? They'd have Fox New Fox and Friends from some fucking diner some morning talking to some jerk off with a cup of coffee. Everybody'd get angry and pretty soon we'd have a national story. You know, it's incredibly insidious and incredibly powerful and 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 it, it creates strange situations here in Iowa. I remember once I was at the Hy-Vee grocery in the, on the uh, west side of Iowa City. And uh, and I just happened to throw a New York Times in. I was stupid because it cost two fifty, and and uh, threw it into my and and it came down to the young white grocery bagger young lady down at there, and she just started frowning her face and going through articles. Uh, and, well, and, and going, well, that's just wrong. That's you know, she was something about COVID, and she said that's just wrong about COVID. This is the liberal. I mean, where did this come from? That a, that a, a bag checker feels the need to go off on me because I'm buying uh, the New York Times. I worked with a kid from uh, Central Iowa at a garage cleaner job. This was years ago. Who uh, out of nowhere? I have to turn this noise off. There we go. Who out of nowhere? began ranting. It had something to do with some music. There's some discussion we were having in the cab between jobs. And um, it started ranting against the 1960s. And what an awful decade the 1960s was. This guy liked rock and roll music and drugs and all kinds of stuff. I was like, why, why do you hate the 60s? It's just it's, it's just this he, right wing, the right wing uh, uh, ecosphere had somehow turned uh, uh, the 60s into a very, very evil time as far as he was concerned. And, and you just kind of like, huh, how'd that happen? No, and, and uh, those are small anecdotes. I ask the question, how'd that happen? At least yeah. several times a day. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask the question, how did it happen that we've gotten to the break? But we have. Let's take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we will continue the conversation with Paul Street. I will come up with several other smooth segues. Enjoy the music. We'll be right back. God. 
chatting with Paul Street here on Counterpunch Radio. Have you gotten over to Counterpunch Plus yet? I mean, I can wait if you want to go over right now and get your subscription. That would be really, really, really appreciated. Okay, Paul, let's pick up where we left off. Um, And I want to ask you, we talked a little bit about manufacturing of outrage and critical race theory, but let's get to the giant orange shitbag in the room here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Trump. We're not going to spend the whole uh, half an hour here talking about Trump, but there is something very interesting, I think, that has happened in the last, uh, you know, eight, nine months where Trump was so dominant in our everyday consciousness on a, on a every hour basis, this, this tumor just, just pounding inside of all of our heads that now <laughs> that he's kind of sort of in a sense gone is sort of there's an out of sight out of mind kind of feeling where he's not on twitter you're not bombarded by this nazi lunatic all the time and so i think it's easy to slip into some level of complacency here and so let me uh shake us out of that and ask you how is trump continuing to impact us today even in his reduced mode well, uh, first of all, he's he's back on the hate trail. He's back on the hate rally trail. So uh, uh, he's, but they're not covering him like they used to. There's still an obsession with him on MSNBC and CNN uh, and elsewhere, and you will see more of that uh, as he has more of his ridiculous uh, uh, hate rallies. And as the Trump Organization uh, now under indictment, and there's a big drama now about whether uh, the New York prosecutors are going to really um, rattle Weisselberg and threaten him enough or perhaps his son enough to get him to rat on Donald. And then it'll be a big, we'll be obsessed with, uh, we'll be obsessed with that uh, for a while. Of course, tax evasion being the least of Donald Trump's crimes. Uh, um, the, the lie, and it is a, it is a big lie in the classic fascist sense. I mean, Goebbels and uh, Hitler would uh, would blush, you know. They they'd be very impressed by the stolen election lie, and the the stolen election lie is informing voter suppression legislation uh, and right wing formation uh, from coast to coast, and particularly uh, in red states. And I think you'd probably find a correlation between uh, in uh, in states between passing bills against critical race theory and also passing. Uh, bills making protest, criminalizing protest, and also bills of, uh, of uh, racially disparate and partisan voter suppression. So it lives on that way. There is a widespread belief, I believe 60% of Republicans believe that Biden's election was illegitimate. That's really significant. Uh, um, and if you think the election is illegitimate, then you've given up on normal bourgeois constitutional 
democracy, and it's intimately related to the embrace of violence and the use and the readiness to embrace uh, political violence. Basically, Trump and his ideology, even after, well, his ideology, Trump and Trumpism, even after a bloody, sloppy, but very real and lethal attempted fascist coup on January 6th uh, of this year, he has control. He does seem to still have control. We'll see how long that lasts or whether it's going to end up being the DeSantis party or the uh, Josh Hawley party or something else. But for now, he seems to be the odds on favor to be the Republicans' uh, 2024 candidate. It appears that the Republicans may well be in good shape with no small help from the voter suppression that is assisted by the defeat, the Biden-assisted defeat of the uh, of the of the For the People Act, there seems to be a good chance of the Republicans getting back the House in 2022, uh, perhaps the Senate as well, which incidentally has all kinds of implications for whether Congress would would uh, certify a Biden win in 2024, 2020, well 2025. Uh, uh, his the he this this monster, this uh, this malignancy, this tumor that the nation badly needs to be removed. Uh, continues to walk free, uh, despite killing, I don't know, 300,000 or more. Um, how many of the COVID deaths are really on his on his table, you know? Uh, uh, as Lori Garrett, uh, the, the, uh, um, the health writer, says, this was pandemicide. This was just flat out, uh, I, I call it pandemo-fascism. Uh, 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 despite uh, a lethal, insane assault on environmental regulations, like you know, like making it okay to poison children with uh, with with mercury, despite uh, an actual attempt to first subvert and then nullify through violent action a presidential election that led to fascistic lunatics carrying Confederate flags into the hallowed halls of Congress. Despite all of that, this guy is the leader of his party and he still walks free. And it just, it, 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 it feeds this sense of hopelessness uh, and, 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 and um, in the, the, the impunity of power. Uh, they could get away with just about anything. And the, the coup attempt, the beer hall putsch that, that, by the way, came much closer to centers of power than Hitler's beer hall putsch in the early 1920s. I mean, it's fucking U.S. Congress, for God's sake, uh, um, is, is inspiration for the radical right. They're organizing off of it. They love it. They use its images. They, they, uh, Ashley Babbitt is a martyr of popular resistance as far as these people are concerned. Uh, for them, January 6th is not the end of, 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 of their dear leader's reign, but actually prologue to um, something going forward. So the, yeah, the, 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 the shadow, uh, the, 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 uh, the dark uh, uh, um, nightmare of Trump in this weird kind of way still hangs over this nation, he was an example of fascism in state power. There was a fascist in the White House, and there will be and years that happened. And there will be again, and there will be again. <laughs> I think there's no doubt about that. But here is the question. Actually, I have two related questions, and we'll see uh, in what order we're going to take these. But um, all of what you said about this this neo-fascist uh, ascendancy is true. The Americaners are getting more bold and so forth. All of that is correct. At the very same time, we absolutely must, as leftists, Marxists, communists, anarchists, what, socialists, progressives, whatever we want to call ourselves, we have to ask the question, how are Democrats and liberals enabling and in some ways sort of shepherding this fascistization process how is it that they are in some senses helping it along well you know one of the um sick parts of this whole thing about the impact or the pall or the shadow uh, of, of trump hanging over the nation is um 
the, the Democrats kind of like to hold it out too, I think. I think those CNN and MSNBC talking heads kind of get into uh, keeping uh, uh, the Trump menace alive because it, it kind of keeps people off the streets and makes everybody shut up. There's this sort of great sense of relief that that's over now. I mean, I get the relief, but for me, I wanted Trump out because because I thought he was a fascist and I thought we needed some breathing room, right? We, uh, I can't breathe. We can't breathe. I think took on multiple meetings at meetings at the end of Trump. It was first the literal phrase of Eric Garner in 2014 and George Floyd in 2020, but then breathing in COVID. I mean, we were being strangled by pandemo fascism under Donald Trump. I, I I wanted him out, but not in order for people to go back to sleep because remembering how awful he was and just being so incredibly relieved that he was gone that we think we can just go back to uh, normal. I, I, I wanted us to have enough breathing space to regroup for the type of revolutionary organization and activism we need to get our shit together and figure out how to do. I, I wanted Trump gone through mass action in the streets, not just through voting. I think that would have been really the way to get rid of Trump. Of course, that didn't happen and didn't have much chance of happening. You know, the Democrats in a broad sense are enabling the fascistization of the United States and not just now or not just, re- but over the long neoliberal era. Uh, uh, the Tom Frank thesis that the uh, uh, that the Republicans went and got the working class, which of course is really just the white working class, is not borne out in any of the data. The people who really do the work on that, like Anthony, our fellow counterpuncher, Anthony DiMaggio, have disproven that completely. What, but what really happens is the Democrats demobilize uh, uh, their own uh, progressive, lower uh, and working class and minority base with their cringing, dollar-drenched, dismal, uh, neoliberal captivity to concentrated wealth and power. Uh, uh, And that opens the door again and again for the Republicans to come in. What they're actually, they're relatively affluent and petty bourgeois base and their crazy right-wing business, fossil fuel, military industrial funders, and crazy, wacky, kooky, uh, uh, Koch brother, capitalist kind of money. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what happened in 2016. Uh, um, I, I think that's a lot of what happened in 2000 when the messianic militarist uh, lunatic, uh, who I, by the way, committed, I think, the crime, still the crime of the century, the invasion of Iraq. That's how George Bush W. got on, got in. I think that's a lot of how Ronald Reagan got in in the first place, the demobilizing impact of Jimmy Carter's last two years, which, as Ralph Nader points out, and as political scientists Jacob Hacker and Paul Pearson point out in their book, uh, Winner Take All Politics, the last two years of Carter were 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 the final uh, were, were marked the victory of deregulation and neoliberalism within uh, the Democratic Party. So they demobilize their base, and the Republicans get in. At the same time, I think the Democrats in the neoliberal era have eaten up a lot of the old big business friendly GOP Republican space and policy agenda, leaving the Republican Party existentially in a competitive two-party system with nowhere to go except further to the eliminationist, uh, white nationalist, authoritarian right. They've always been playing around with that since Nixon and the Southern strategy, but now they have nothing left, have to go harder with it as Bill Clinton and the fully neoliberal Democrats in the 90s ate up a lot of that corporate neoliberal space. The Democrats legitimize a lot of right-wing agendas by embracing them and incorporating them. So then you get you, know, you get B- Bill Clinton embracing uh, the destruction of the welfare of, of family cash assistance. You get Bill Clinton proudly signing a mass incarcerationist, racist, uh, uh, three strikes crime bill. You actually get Bill Clinton starting up the physical wall on the southern border in order to stem the flow of migrants anticipated to result from the North from his arch neoliberal North Amer- American free trade agreement. I mean, the liberals just contribute to this in all kinds of ways. Hollywood, he, Hollywood's he, full of liberals, and it pervades. When I go into Chicago and have cable, and I can look at the movie channels, I never watch movies. They're just full of fascistic violence. 
you know, uh, the legitimization of cruelty and barbarism. I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead. No, I was, I was, I was just going to point out though that um, while this is while this is all happening, we do desperately need to ask another question that you are really hammering on a regular basis on social media because you're masochistic in that way. Oh yeah, and uh, that is when we recognize the ways in which, see, this is my ulterior motive in asking the last question. When we recognize the ways in which the Democrats are enablers of fascism and in, in, in which they are essentially midwives to this Americana Nazi ascendancy. Junior partners. Junior partners, as it were. The Weimar uh, party. In understanding that, we also have to then contend with this absolutely deranged mode of thinking from some quarters of the left, whereby because the Democrats are enablers of fascism, they're no different than fascists themselves. And that there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats, between Trumpist Nazis and uh, Obama, uh, Obama noid Democrats, right? That we found ourselves in such an extremely uh, intellectually vapid period where even major segments of the left cannot possibly develop an analysis nuanced enough to understand the nature of both aspects of this issue. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, Upton Sinclair and 1904, on the original Appeal to Reason version of the jungle, uh, referred to the Democrats and the Republicans as two wings of the same bird of prey. I, I think that's accurate. They're, they're both subject to the class dictatorship of capital. But that doesn't make them the same. I mean, you know, just imagine AOC being elected in uh, Western Iowa or Nebraska or Wyoming. It would never happen. Imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene be elected to the House in Brooklyn or Chicago or San Francisco. That would absolutely never happen. They're not the same thing. Uh, uh, um, uh, I, I don't believe a Democrat in the White House would have uh, undertaken the same approach to uh, COVID, to COVID-19 that Donald Trump and other Republicans were uh, willing to take. I mean, I suppose I could be wrong about that. But, you know, and, 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 and uh, 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 there's never been anything like a Trump, and I just can't imagine anything ever happening in, in the Democratic Party. Uh, um like the demonization uh, uh, and 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 the 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 dehumanization of uh, everyone that disagrees with you and even the other opposition party, literally calling for locking Hillary up, referring to opponents on the uh, on the, uh, um, in the population in general and in the other political party as uh, uh, as rats, as animals, oh, as willful, willful desire to pollute and destroy and reject climate change, which could doom the entire fucking planet. Well, there's that tell yeah. me there's no difference. There's a little bit of a problem there, isn't there? Yeah. Right. Um, right. And, 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 you know, I mean, um, it, it was just pathetic. I thought how quickly Obama and Clinton came out and, and gave these, uh, these pathetic, uh, speeches about, uh, passing on the torch of democracy to Trump in 2016. And, but I mean, but, but this deep respect for the integrity of, of, uh, of an election and, and, you know, and uh, peaceful transfer of power, right? Uh, um, it's just unthinkable that the Democrats would, would respond to an election uh, that they clearly lost like Donald Trump did in 2020 that, and, and like the Republicans did. And it wasn't just Trump. I mean, the majority of people in Congress refused to certify Biden as the election. Uh, I've never heard the Democrats talk about eliminating completely the other party, you know, how and, did, how did you know, I mean, they've literally, the GOP is a post, there's a post parliamentary, uh, to, to post constitutional party now heading in, a uh, in, a, in an, an openly authoritarian direction. That's, that's, and they're not the same that way. How did segments of the left get to the point where they can't discern the differences here, where we are in clearly the descent into fascist authoritarian police state uh, that the Democrats and Republicans have both helped to build, and at the same time seeing the fully formed 
fascist movement sort of in its in its uh, I shouldn't say fully formed because it's really in its infancy. Uh, but witnessing this over the last five years and not being able to tailor one's analysis to the current reality, to the material reality of U.S. politics in 2021, it's mind boggling how much stupidity there is, even from segments of the left that should know better. Yeah, well, they make a lot of intellectual mistakes. They think the Trump base is uh, is uh, latently virtuous uh, proletarians that we need to reach out to and that we can somehow reach with uh uh, um, we can somehow reach by having the progressive Bernie Sanders ing- agenda when in fact they are deeply revanchist, authoritarian, sexist, and racist, and white nationalist, uh, petty bourgeois <laughs> professionals uh, who are deeply uh, uh, invested in an authoritarian response to minority uprisings and who, who hate urban populations and, and all of that. They have, they have very mythical ideas. Uh, um, they're, they're, they laugh off the notion that this is fascism because it doesn't match completely the fully consigned, the more intellectual variants of the Trump and left, you know, uh, uh, laugh it all off to call it fascism because, uh, it's not a perfect match for the fully consolidated fascist regimes of, of Western Europe, you know, nearly a hundred, uh, uh, years ago, but, you know, uh, uh, and I could go on and on with a lot of the intellectual mistakes they make. They falsely conflate class with educational level. They falsely conflate class with, uh, with, uh, 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 with region. Uh, um, they, 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 they come up with bizarre reasons that, uh, that Trump really wasn't all that damaging. And he just really said some crazy stuff that he was really just, it was just performative fascism. You know, tell that to the, to the people who, who died because of the, uh, uh, out of control, uh, 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 inadequately responded to coronavirus, or tell that to the parents who had their children stolen from their arms at the Southern border. But, but, you know, I mean, and, and I mean, I could go on with the mistakes they make, you know, why, these people have become so utterly ridiculous is really kind of an interesting uh, question. I think part of it is on, to some extent, on the Democrats. Uh, a, a lot of lefts, I think, have left people have been driven insane, you know, literally over the edge of a kind of madness by the elitism of the know-it-all, you know, neoliberal Dems and their inauthentic progressivism and their sort of very specifically bourgeois manipulative kind of identity politics. And I think this drives a lot of people that I've known over the years on the left, uh, almost over the edge of madness. And they become so clouded by their hatred of liberals and Democrats that they can no longer recognize the fascism that's staring them in the face. And in this two-party system, there really is no other way for them to punish, they think, the Democrats within the electoral regime than kind of aligning themselves with the right-wing party. It's the only other viable party. Uh, uh, I think there's a polarization in the, in the political culture and in the media such that a, someone like a Glenn Greenwald or a Chris Hedges or, or or, or some other folks who do have or had or have, certainly Chris does, left, left-wing instincts can't be, uh, can't get positions uh, in the mainstream corporate media and end up having paychecks uh, or become like, like Greenwald has now become a regular visitor on Fox News, right? Or you end up working for RT in order to... Uh, make uh, a living. I think a lot of people on the left that we've hung around with over the years never really had a Marxist education. I think particularly a lot of the people that became icons on the left have come out, have actually, I was thinking about this recently, a lot of the biggest names on the left never really had an organic connection to the Marxist tradition. And I, I maintain that people who have who've been exposed in a serious kind of way to Marxist thought and writing in history over the many years would never fall prey to this uh, kind of nonsense. There's a bubble that a lot of uh, uh, our, our fellow well, let me, leftists let me, live in. Well, just let me finish this one thought. They never actually see any of these right-wing people. They're, they're not in rural areas or they're not in the suburbs where the Trumpists congeal 
Uh, I quoted a guy in one of my last articles, a left intellectual who does have regular, in fact, comes out of a family that, had, that, that is made up of these people. And I don't think Noam Chomsky or, or, or a lot of other left intellectuals ever talk to these people or know anything about them. And this helps them fall prey to this notion that they're like, oh, the, the Trump people are just, you know, they're, they're alienated working class people who've just been conned by Donald Trump and they're waiting to come around and Bernie Sanders will fix it. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. They're just they're they're just uh, hayseeds and rubes and so forth, right? They're not these uh, insidious right. fucking right. clansmen. Um, but anyway, in the six minutes that we have remaining, I just want to point out one other observation that I know you've made several times uh, on social media, and I think it's a very interesting observation in talking about the Trump and left. You know, this sort of weird amalgam of uh, of of sort of deranged uh, left wingers who have just fallen over themselves for four years to make every excuse for Trump and to equate everything with what Democrats do as if we can't possibly have an analysis that takes all of that into account. Um, right. You've pointed out, and I think it's, I, I think it's an important observation that the vast majority of people that fall into this category are affluent, older, and white. Uh, you know, this is a really key point, and I paid attention to this. I've really been kind of a lightning rod for this stuff uh, uh, in an interesting kind of way, because I've got a history here, and I go way back uh, with the left critique of Obama, and I really sort of made my chops in a lot of ways on the left with uh, not one, well, it finally became three, but then two, and, <laughs> and this last one, I, the last book, Hollow Resistance, I became this very early alarm bell ringer about the fake progressivism of and corporate imperialism and Barack Obama. And so a lot of these, and, and, and I stand by all of that. And so I drew to me a lot of these kind of um, standard older white male lefties who were very critical of bourgeois identity politics and eager to point out that Obama being black was just a cover for, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a neoliberal agenda. Uh, um, but then Trump came in. And he was the president now. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Marxist who, for whom public enemy number one is always the, the, the guy sitting in the Oval Office and the head of the most evil empire on earth called the American empire. And, um, and, it, and, and they never, and it became clear that they never understood me. If they, if they thought that uh, criticizing Obama and the Democrats may, meant giving, looking the other way, uh, at the GOP, particularly as the GOP was now starting to, and in fact had crossed over into fascist space, then they had another thing coming. And I've been paying attention to who writes me on this. And I've got to say, the people on the left who've given me grief about elementary observations about the sheer horror and awfulness of Trump and Trumpism, uh, 90% of them are white, uh, male, relatively affluent. They often are in urban metropolitan environments uh, that give them no blue bubbles that give them absolutely no contact with these types of people who, who love to throw around the N-word, who call feminists troublemakers, who uh, bitch about Mexicans and immigrants, and uh, often enough are actually not poor and not proletarian and not being displaced or quote unquote replaced by migrant workers. And um, I think that's, I think that's a really uh, key point. And I think some of these people that I've dealt with are, are white males who in a way are kind of Archie Bunker Marxists who feel screwed over, effed over themselves in their lives and in their careers by their race and by their, um, by their gender. And, you know, there may in some cases be some, uh, it's not pure fantasy. There, there, there may be some material historical basis in some of their biographies for that. I mean, I remember being on the job market as a white male in academia and uh, there were problems, you know, uh, it didn't lead me to become a fascist, uh, uh, you know, um, at all. But uh, it, I, I suppose that's related to why some other people become at least more understanding of fascism than they ought to be. Well, we're just about out of time, and I know you need to pack up your, Gad your Gadsden flag and get into your pickup truck and ride <laughs> on off into the sunset with your right. uh, shotgun rack. Yeah. But um, 
Before you go, I just want to uh, ask you to give us your crystal ball prediction here. Um, and I want to know what's happening in 2022, what's happening in 2024, and where that's going. Well, historically, uh, um, the off the out party wins back the House, wins back Congress in, in the off year. Uh, um, I can't imagine that that won't be the case this time. Uh, I think to, to, to have prevented that would have required the passing of the uh, For the People Act. If the Democrats were a real opposition party, they would have mobilized people in the streets and made a really, really big deal uh, uh, and, and pulled out all the stops on Mansion and Christian Cinema and just go on whole hog and, 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 and uh, have a real fight, a real meaningful fight about it. They didn't do that. Uh, uh, so we have gerrymandered districts again, even, wor- even more so. And a lot of this happens at the state level where no one pays attention to. Uh, the voter suppression stuff is, is, is horrific. You know, one of the states, Arizona, is they handed over election certification. They took it out of the hands of the Secretary of State and gave it to the Attorney General because the Attorney General is a Republican and the Secretary of State is a Democrat. There's going to be a lot of that kind of shit going on in other states. Uh, if the Democrats have the, if the, excuse me, if the Republicans have the House by 2024, that has all kinds of implications for the certification um, of Biden. Uh, if yeah, I guess it's going to kind of depend on how the economy goes. Uh, um, but I think there's a very strong possibility of a closer election than in 2020. I think even 2020, if it had been significantly closer, would have been in the steel range for Trump. I think that Republicans will have learned from uh, what happened in 2020? I think uh, uh, they're viewing it as prologue. I think they're organizing. You know, I think for all their craziness, they're really quite strategic and Leninist in some ways about uh, planning shit, particularly at the state level. I think it's a distinct possibility that Biden will have a narrow victory uh, that won't be certified in Congress. And then as Jeffrey Goldberg said in The Atlantic, then uh, who knows? Then the four horsemen will be let loose. And uh, I think it could get uh, really, really ugly. There's a lot of weaponry loose in this country. Nobody talks about it. That's one of my writing topics coming up is the political consequences and meaning of all these guns we have out here, most of them owned by the right wing. I do understand why people talk about looking at their passports and getting out of this country. I hate to say that. Uh, I don't think uh, just as a, at a pure Mandarin crystal ball level. I mean, I hate all this and I will fight against it and I'll be in the streets resisting it and trying to prove myself wrong. But just like an, and sort of an academic standing apart and afar and looking down on it like a Chinese Mandarin, uh, it really looks very, very chilling. And, you know, it isn't just about the yahoos and the militias and all that. In the cities, the, fed, the fraternal orders of police are Trumpist. Uh, they are chomping at the bit for a situation uh, coming in 2024 and 2025. And the white cops, at least, would love to crack down on people. I think people really got to get ready for some very, very serious struggle. Uh, um, and the sooner they start uh, girding their loins and getting serious about it, the better off we're all going to be. Nowhere better to begin girding one's loins than here at Counterpunch. Thank you so much, Paul Street, as always, for coming and chatting with us, illuminating just a breath of fresh air and just ever so rosy, as always, Paul. I really appreciate (laughs) it. Um, Paul Street, he's a regular at Counterpunch. You can find all of his work there. PaulStreet.org is the website. Do what you got to do to support Paul, support Counterpunch, get your subscription to CP+. And uh, we'll chat again next week.